SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the CUSA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. I uh, hope everyone had a safe and happy 4th of July weekend. I know we did. Uh, Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry here with you once again. This episode, we're going to talk about CUSA stuff news, especially as it relates to the new NIL rules, uh, name, image, and likeness. I know we're excited to see uh, where that takes college football in general. But first, Eric, how was your holiday weekend, man? Yeah, you mentioned safe and, you know, fun, exciting, all those things. Uh, it, it ended up being those things. But as we're recording this, it is July 7th. We are one day past the landfall or at least grays of my area of Hurricane Elsa. So we spent the past day and a half preparing for that did not really affect the 4th of July weekend too much. It was just a little bit rainy, but yeah, ever since the fifth and sixth, we were kind of bracing for that. Luckily, you know, we're all safe and sound in these neck of the woods around the Tampa St. Pete area. I believe it's going to make landfall uh, somewhere in North Florida, like Panhandle. Unfortunately, they've had a rough go at it the past few years, but uh, outside of that, that uh, that's been pretty much it, sir. How about yourself? Uh, it was really, really nice. Um, I spent it in San Antonio, and San Antonio is an amazing city. Uh, sat by the pool, smoked cigars, and uh, drank Shinerbach with a UTSA uh, UTSA alum, waxing poetic about sincere McCormick. Uh, I like to think that Norman Rockwell would have painted this scene if he were still around. Uh, plus, I got I got an abuelita to try a Dorito for the first time. <laughs> Nice, nice, yeah. Nice. And uh, she wasn't she wasn't pleased, but it was entertaining. <laughs> I, this this begs one quick question. I, sure. I feel like I would have known this off air, but did you get a chance to meet our resident UTSA expert, Jared Kalmus, by any chance? I know he's been I, busy with his engagement, but I, I did not. Um, my as our our most trips I go on with my my fiance and her family. My social calendar was booked before I even you know had any say in it uh but that being said it, w- it was lovely sort of a family reunion of sorts between her big italian catholic family and um her cousin's husband and his big mexican catholic family so me and the two other like irish boyfriends were like so many emotions um anyway <laughs> Um, no, it was it was a good time. San Antonio, I will definitely be back. And uh, shout out to Bill Miller's Barbecue. Amazing brisket. Um, but I know we said we were going to talk about some NIL stuff, so we should probably do that at some point. Uh, first of all, you know, Eric, your kind of thoughts on the overall uh, passing of this NIL bill and what it's going to mean for, for college athletics and G5 football as a whole. And I'm interested to hear your perspective on this, just given, you know, you had the experience of actually playing football in college at one point. <laughs> yeah, well, let's start here. Uh, they weren't exactly passing out NIL deals for our NAIA football. So, uh, but you know what? I'm going to come back to in a second because I, I, that's going to be one of the key points as far as my overall thoughts here. First and foremost, want to start with the fact that listen, it, it's a great day for college athletics and college athletes in a myriad of ways. And I'm going to kind of touch on, for me, my top three. The first one, and I've heard. A lot of people, whether it's been you know, on the cable networks and it doesn't matter if it's CNN or ESPN, I mean, it seems like everyone's really talked about this, that this is a way for people who put in more than a 40-hour work week 
in terms of having to be able to, you know, the commitment takes to play that sport to be able to make some type of money off of the work, right? And you and I have talked about this, not necessarily in terms of NIL, but we've talked about it in terms of the transfer rule and the fact that both of us transferred schools one point in time in our undergraduate careers, right? And why can't student athletes be able to transfer as they see fit, free reign? Another thing is we both were able to maintain jobs and, you know, be gainfully employed during our academic tenure. And I dare say that these student athletes are actually kind of partaking in a little bit more in terms of the overall workload. That has always been my perspective. People do not understand. And this is not just football. I'm talking about, you know, everywhere from football to women's basketball to rowing and everywhere in between. It, it is a full-time job to be a student athlete, and it is great that they're going to have the opportunity to profit off of their own name, image, and likeness. The second point I want to get to here is in specificity to women's sports, and I will come back and make a broader point after you kind of give your synopsis, um, or maybe make a more specified point after you give your synopsis. But I think, Joe, what's getting a little bit lost and under the radar here is that this will be a great thing, not just for football and basketball. But right after that, right after your premier, um, quote unquote, the power five, and I say that in air quotes because, you know, we, we, we are all about the underdogs. We don't believe in that dichotomy. But for the purpose of the discussion, um, your power five football and basketball schools, uh, basketball programs, I think women's athletes are going to benefit from this in a way that really is going under the radar here. And like I said, I will elaborate on that after you give your kind of synopsis. And the third thing is I just think that overall, this is going to allow kids to a ideally learn what their market value is and if you're going to be a professional athlete it's great to learn what your market value is early on but also in life in, in careers it, it, it's a great teaching tool in my opinion when a lot of these athletes again so much of their time is spent devoted to their craft and their sport that they don't necessarily get some of the same opportunities academically speaking in terms of being able to shape you know, whether it's an internship or home little skills that may set you up for your future career if you're not a professional athlete. Joe, guess what? You're going to have, I think that's my computer, but we'll let that go. Uh, sorry about that for those of you listening. Joe, you're going to have more opportunities. If you're the quarterback at Miami or the quarterback at USC, you're going to have more opportunities than the four string left tackle at insert FCS school, right? A lot of kids are going to get a firsthand lesson in, hey, my market value may not be X. However, I may be able to position myself as a student athlete at said school to where maybe I've played two years as a starter, as a tackle, right? As a junior and senior at a, a lower level program. You can, Joe, you can position that into a, a um, I don't know, persona is not the right word, but you can position that um, public being into something in that town for your future as a career. And I think this is gonna be a great opportunity to learn and understand market value. It's gonna be a grad level marketing course. If A, athletic departments allow these student athletes to learn it in that way and present it to them that way, and B, they're receptive to the message. So I'll start there. And then, you know, after you get your synopsis, I'll kind of come back and hone on some specific points that I think uh, are worth noting. Yeah, I think you and I are very much on the same page here in terms of what this means for the overall college athletics landscape. It's absolutely not just uh, football and men's basketball athletes who are going to benefit from this and see, uh, you know, some, some cash come their way. 
Uh, if you want further evidence, go Google uh, Olivia Dunn, D-U-N-N-E, uh, LSU gymnast who has a massive TikTok following and is going to make a lot of money off of you know her name, image, and likeness in the coming months and coming years here uh, based on the work that she's already put in to kind of grow that following and build her brand. And now I think this really uh, you know presents opportunities for uh, athletes in, in football to kind of do the same thing. I mean, if think about how much money like Zion Williamson could have made if, you know, based on the social following that he grew prior to even before he got to Duke. So like, there's so many opportunities here for people to do that. And like, you know, we see the commercials all the time of extremely small percentage of NCAA athletes are going to become pro athletes. This presents an opportunity for college athletes to basically just kind of understand, you know, your market value and to put that in other terms, what your opportunities are outside of your given sport. Um, and we'll talk about some of the, the you know, specific things that uh, we've seen some of the G5 football players, uh, specifically within Conference USA, take advantage of a little later in the show. But this is going to present an opportunity for programs as well to really just kind of boost the footprint of their program in saying we have the tools and the personnel that can help you understand that. And really, you know, I, I mentioned this in the NIL roundtable that should be up on the site by now, but this is going to open the door for a G5 football program to bring in those kind of staffers and create a much, much bigger profile than they would have just said if they were just saying, hey, come play, you know, football for us in Bowling Green, Kentucky, or um, Norfolk, Virginia. But, you know, along the way, you can learn how to create a life for yourself and create a, a career for yourself outside of your chosen sport in a, you know, I don't want to say a small market because that sounds insulting, but in, a, you know, a, a town like 90% of the towns in the United States. So that's kind of my take on it. I think it's a huge step forward. Absolutely, Joe. And two of the points that I kind of want to hone on a little bit here. First one, when I talk about women's athletics, and I, I don't intend for this to be somewhat of an uncomfortable conversation. I think it's just a real conversation, Joe. There are a lot of female athletes over time, specifically in the social media era, who, for one way or another, I'll give a first name comes to mind, Skylar Diggins. Skylar Diggins had an incredible social media following before she ever dribbled one basketball in the WNBA. And her ability, and listen, again, I, 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 I'm saying this respectfully because we all know Skylar Diggins is one of the greatest women's basketball players in college history and certainly an all-star at the professional level. But it doesn't hurt that in terms of the marketability factor, she fulfills all the things that you would look for in terms of the um, – the appearance uh, in terms of female athlete and, and, and being very marketable, right? If you look at, in my opinion, one of the interesting deals that was signed, are you familiar with the Cavender twins, Joe? I am, but only because I peeked at what you wrote about them in the roundtable thing. <laughs> That's precisely my point, right? Haley and Hannah Cavender, for those of our, our listeners who may not know, they are twin uh, guards. One is a guard, one is a forward at Fresno State. Uh, both of them uh, Arizona natives. And listen, I don't want to uh, align them as if they are, you know, players who are getting 0.1 points per game in five minutes. Both the Cavenders are all conference players. They both, I believe, were all state coming out of high school. However, 
just in terms of sheer marketability and name value. See, I shouldn't say marketability, but name value. I had never heard of the Cavender twins prior to last week, right? And a lot of that has to do with the fact that women's basketball certainly isn't, you know, uh, as of the same platform as men's basketball and and just even, um, you know, mid-major men's basketball as a whole, right? The Cavender twins have a massive social media following. Between the two of them, they have almost over 4 million followers between TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, you do the entire uh, math there, right? They signed a deal the day, the day that NIL went into existence, they signed a deal. Let me pull up the actual deal really quick. I thought I had it on the fly, but it's actually they've signed multiple deals here. Um, I believe I know they signed one with Boost Mobile. There was another one. Yeah, well, the, if a deal was Boost Mobile and it's going to last well beyond their days at Fresno State, I believe it's for six years here. Uh, so that's just the first deal. That's one of three that they signed within the first uh, day and a half of NIL being into existence. Joe, I think, again, you are essentially, and this can go whether you are a women's golfer, a women's rower. Now, of course, you know, women's basketball, if you do the pantheon of women's sports, probably, you know, highest on, on the realm, right? But you have the ability to market your following and your, um, th- this, you know, this, this following that you've built up from day one. And I just think that that's something, especially when you're leveling the playing field as a women's sports, is going to be interesting. And here's the second point, and this is what I wrote in, in the roundtable. You know, I think this is interesting. Joe, you're also giving the <laughs> women's athletes a level of power that they don't have. Anyone who's worked within an athletic department or even you know, kind of knows some of the inner workings like you and I do know that, guess what? The budget isn't there for the Fresno State women's basketball team to fly everywhere each game. I, I, I probably shouldn't speak out of turn, so I won't specify them. But I can promise you there are um, women's basketball teams in America that are flying charter, that are not flying charter, excuse me. They're, they're, they're flying standby just like us, right? Um, so guess what? When you have that kind of power and that kind of financial marketing ability behind you, that gives you a level of power that almost supersedes what could be your AD. And I find that to be fascinating, Joe. So that's just kind of my quick take on that. That, that even, to be quite frank, to bring back around to a college football perspective, the Cavenders have more power and more marketability than the four-string running back at Fresno State. Yeah, absolutely. To tie it back into uh, football and women's athletics, think about like Sarah Fuller. Like she's still going to make a decent chunk of money off of telling, you know, her story and being the first, uh, you know, woman to play in a P5 school. But, you know, that could have, that process could have already started. (laughs) Um, And I think like, you know, with, with, athletes across all sports, you're just going to see that process uh, start a lot earlier. And, you know, ultimately I think it's going to be to their benefit because they can capitalize on their fame at the pinnacle of it, as opposed to, you know, later on in life when, you know, a people might've moved on to a different thing or they might've gotten hurt or any number of things could have happened. And like we said, it also kind of opens the door for them to just understand how the professional, it just it gives them a better understanding of professional culture in the United States and what you need to do to be successful as opposed to just, I was a college athlete, hire me. Not to say that doesn't work, but you understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, Joe. I mean, I just want to quickly touch on what you said right there. It, it, it's not that, you know, when you put all of that time into honing your craft, you lose out on a lot of the skills that you and I were able to grasp in terms of just developing ourselves as adults, right? Outside of your identity as an athlete. And I think this gives them the opportunity to understand 
some real world skills that you kind of miss out on when you're just sequestered on that bubble. So that's the way I, I would uh, position it. Hundred percent. You know, I, I guess let's let's talk about some interesting deals signed within the the context of the G five within CUSA and within FCS too. Because there's there's one that I want to shout out. Um, the first deal that really came across the wire, and I I believe it was the first one signed. I'm not hundred percent on that. Jackson State defensive end Antoine Owens uh, signed an endorsement deal with a hair product company based out of Cincinnati called Three Kings Grooming. And to basically, and from my understanding, they are kind of pursuing like a larger partnership with uh, multiple players on Jackson State. Just the fact that players at a school like Jackson State have this kind of opportunity in front of them is uh, just further proof of like what this is going to do to the space. And which, shout out, uh, I actually played high school football with the founder of three Kings grooming as it, as luck would have it. Uh, what's up, Mike Nomako anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what are some of the kind of the deals that we've seen come across the wire in recent weeks that have really grabbed your attention, Eric? Well, this one isn't a G five one. I mean, but if you're an animal lover, I mean, Arkansas receiver, Trey Knox, pet smart. I mean, come on, that's phenomenal right there. Just getting, you know, his, uh, I believe he has a Husky, uh, some love there, but you know, in terms of the G five roaming, definitely want to try Will Ulmer from Marshall. You know, he's got gigs in the Huntington area. He can now kind of, can find Will Ulmer on a uh, flyer near you in downtown Huntington, you know, playing gigs on the weekends or maybe weekdays, sorry, after practice weekends might be a little bit occupied. I uh, got to go down to FIU. Shout out receiver Tyrese Chambers. I mean, he's had, you know, we'll talk about him when we talk about uh, players for next year, but what a, what a meteoric rise. The kid goes from being an FCS All-American to now he's NIL. And uh, he signed a deal with a local Miami uh, taco company. He said it's found that, you know, pretty interesting. Because a kid uh, a couple of years ago, he's FCS football player. And now he's got a, a deal with a Miami restaurant. So can't beat that. And then, of course, a couple of the CUSA ones I've seen. Uh, Frank Gore Jr. with first round management uh, has a deal to represent him and all of his future deals. So I think across the CUSA landscape, and when you look at the the markets, Joe, and we may talk about this a little bit more. I'm sure you'll have some thoughts on it, but I haven't seen anything out of Middle Tennessee. I haven't seen anything out of Western Kentucky just yet. But I think all in all, there are deals for everyone to be had. I mean, sure, Miami may present a few more opportunities in Murfreesboro. But I think there's opportunities all the way around that it really interests me. And I think that's going to be a, you know, if, if you were to leverage and say, hey, you got to be at a Miami or a Vegas or such and such. No, you, you can find something over there in El Paso and it works just the same. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I believe you're correct. I don't think Western Kentucky has announced any uh, individual athletes partnering with anybody yet. But here's the thing that kind of goes back to potential, right? When you look at Western's alumni base and the cities that they're close to, there are a ton of Western alumni in places like Louisville, Lexington, Nashville, St. Louis, uh, even Atlanta. Like, I mean, I'd not maybe not Atlanta because that's a little too far away and too big of a market for an athlete from Western to really stand out. But my point is this. Because of those alumni bases, that opens the opportunities for these athletes to, you know, do deals that would resonate with them. And they're not necessarily confined to just uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky. You know, they, they don't have to limit themselves to, you know, endorsing the, uh, you know, the bomb teriyaki spot with the potatoes and the stir fry that I keep forgetting the name of. But uh, you understand what I'm trying to say. Like, sure. just because stuff's not happening right away. I don't want people to get the impression that this is, you know, a dud or, or whatever. Like it's going to take some time to kind of get this, you know, figured out. 
And like, you know, I ultimately, I think there's going to be rules in place to kind of prevent stuff like this from happening. But, you know, there are a ton of regional media networks and places like Underdog, although I don't think we're going to ultimately pursue something like this, um, to really get, you know, athletes partnered with them to grow their footprint uh, in, in that way as well. Which, you know, I think it's part of a larger discussion why I think there's going to be eventually rules in place to prevent something like that. But right now, those opportunities are certainly there as well. <laughs> I'm I'm glad you mentioned that, and you know, it's an effort of full disclosure. You and I are both the co-managing editors of this G5 outlet here, or this SB Nation outlet. So, you know, while we are uh, in place, we're probably not going to be pursuing that. But I think you raise an interesting point. One that I thought of: who's to stop? You know, if you're a outlet in I don't know, uh, Michigan State comes to mind, right? And if you're an outlet, the local outlet there, and, and you want to get a little bit ahead on the game and say, hey, you want to shout us out, <laughs> all right? Who's to stop it? The only thing that's going to stop people are just their own personal ethics. And that that is a, a line that obviously can, you know, it's very subjective. So you raise a point there that I did find interesting. And I, and I am curious to see, while the NIL rules are in place now, and it's kind of an open market, but I do think in the future, I do agree with you, there may be some sort of, I don't know, by bylaws or restrictions as far as the, you know who can and who cannot. So I think that'll be interesting. Yeah, and I mean, this is just kind of my marketing brain working, and we might have to put a disclosure on this episode that this is this is not a typical episode of the CUSA. We're kind of going all over the place with the G five landscape. But look at a school like BYU uh, for you know for for reasons for for cultural reasons. That campus really loves Coca-Cola because it's one of the few, like, you know, vices they can have. (laughs) Um, I would be shocked if at some point they did not get a BYU or football, uh, BYU football or basketball star to do just kind of a regional Coke campaign, whether that's signage, something like that. I think, you know, uh, as far as regional campaigns for national brands go, I absolutely think that opportunity is there. Yeah, Joe, I think you raise an interesting point there as far as in that region. The Mormon church is you know, very expansive in that region. And obviously that would open up a, a litany of opportunities you know, for marketing areas there. I mean, you can go um, think about it. If you're in Georgia, let's use Georgia State, for example, right? You know, we know like your Chick-fil-A's and, you know, uh, uh, Coca-Cola and, and things like that. So it will be interesting to see as far as just the regional aspect of how this plays. I mean, I don't want to shout out a certain brand here in, uh, you know, Gatorade, because I'm not particularly a fan of a, that school in Gainesville. But nevertheless, you know, like you, you, you would have to think there's going to be natural tie-ins somewhere along the line in terms of a certain brand. Yeah, for sure. And like, that's the thing, too. I mean, if you really kind of look at like the G5 landscape, there's there's bound to be companies started by alumni who are chomping at the bit to just like get their own, you know, players from their favorite school in to rep their their brand. So like that's that's going to happen at some point. Um, but yeah, I think with with CUSA to kind of tie it back, I think ultimately they seem like as a whole, the conference is kind of waiting and seeing how this plays out with some of the kind of early adopters. And I don't necessarily blame them. I think ultimately, this is still a very like young development as it relates to college football. You need to know, you know, if you are walking as thin of a line as some schools within CUSA are, you don't want to necessarily like develop more of a reputation as like the school that messed up NIL, like right out the gate. Um, 
you want to kind of take your time, figure out what makes the most sense and, you know, make sure that you're bringing in people who know what they're doing in terms of being able to grow athletes brands and then develop these skills that we've been talking about for the duration of this episode. So, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily blame CUSA for seemingly being a little slow on the gun in terms of giving their athletes the resources they need from like a staffing perspective, but you know, it's a, it's a changing landscape. And ultimately I think we'll, we'll see them take advantage down the line. But again, we're not talking about, you know, if you look at a team like old dominion and compare them to UCF or Houston, I think the discrepancies and resources there are pretty noticeable. So it's, it's understandable at this point in the game. Yeah, Joe. I mean, I know we're going to talk about how the two of us would approach, you know, if we were in charge of an athletic department and, you know, maybe some direct impacts on G5s and whatnot. But I just want to mention something really quick before we transition to that. I had a member of a communications department from a G5 school, you know, uh, text me and say, hey, this is great for student athletes, but it's horrible for us. And here's why. As you mentioned, there's a need to be really an entire staff of three or four people who will handle NIL at your respective school. And right now, it's, it's just kind of more work for the compliance guy or compliance girl. And our own Joe Broback tweeted that out and said, hey, I'd hate to start a job as a compliance person today because it's just like, hey, that whole rule book you got, let's toss out the window and just, uh, you know, wing it, right? And, you know, Joe makes a funny point there, but it's, it's just factual that, you know, that's something that I hopefully see USA and the G5s will be quick to catch up on as far as staffing appropriately within the department for NIL. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, if you're talking about the tweet that came from the underdog account, that was me. Don't don't give don't give Bill back more I, credit. I, I, I apologize. Continue that, with Joe Lonnie. <laughs> no, it's all good. But it, the the point remains the same. For you know, I I'm not going to say I because we're the school we were referring to is App State had someone start uh, a pretty a higher up job in their compliance department the day that the NIL rule went into effect, and I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they knew what they were doing there. But yeah, you have to completely reassess the way that your compliance department is structured, the skill sets that you that you need to have a good compliance department. And like we've been saying, you ultimately need to completely reassess the kind of staff that you need in order to uh, make your program successful at the D1 level. Like, <laughs> I, I would hate to imagine them come in and be like, okay, here's the compliance book. NIL, what's that? Well, throw his book over the shoulder never mind let's square one like it's i i imagine it's like the first uh it's like the people who started like the first day of covid you know what i mean like welcome you're remote now like that that (laughs) but uh yeah i i imagine it's a pretty hectic time for folks in that department, as well as pretty much every every other department in college athletics right now. No, there's absolutely no doubt about that. And Joe, I, I want to ask you this. You know, I'll transition to the next topic here because I'm definitely curious if you can lead off, bat lead off here. How would you approach this if you were in charge of a athletic department? And let's leave it in the G5 realm, right? We don't want to play around and act like we've got expansive resources like we may have at, you know, some major, you know, SEC program, Alabama and whatnot. We're a G5 program. How would you handle this in terms of, you know, let's take it, all the way across the board, right? Uh, In terms of staffing and there's a direct approach with your student athletes. Yes. I would say, first off, if you do have the resources, I ultimately think you need to kind of structure out, um, you know, an assistant position whose job it is to help players understand 
what are good opportunities for this NIL stuff and what's not. Because, you know, you won't want people going for like the fast cash grabs. Um, I think ultimately, if not that, then I would think most of these schools would have a number of, you know, supporters, whatever, who would want to come in and, and maybe conduct some seminars with these guys to help them understand what those are. Um, you don't want guys necessarily jumping at the bit to, you know, endorse, I don't know, selling knives on the home shopping network, if that's even still a thing. Like you want folks to like, you know, understand like what to look for in terms of a opportunities that align with who you are as a person, what the team is as a person. Um, not that like the teams are ultimately going to have a say in what opportunities these athletes take a hold of. But I think it would be unwise for, um, you know, athletes to align with a brand that uh, doesn't make sense for who their team is as a brand, which, you know, we could talk about like the BYU is another good example. Like they don't want athletes um, aligning with brands that go against their honor code, which, you know, makes sense for them as a religious entity. Sure. But I think it also makes sense for them as a brand. like. I think ultimately, like if they were just like, yeah, go nuts, sign with whoever you want. Like ultimately, that's going to hurt BYU's credibility within their core fan base. Um, and I think most schools can really learn from that. Um, you know, you don't want folks kind of going against, uh, you know, who the school is uh, as a brand. And like this is this is, you know, I don't know, an extreme example, but like you wouldn't want like, you know, I think there's something there to kind of stop like uh, a Marshall player from signing with, I don't know, just any Bowling Green based company because since Western Kentucky is like their main rival, but yeah, I mean, ultimately I think it's, it's there. Most G five schools are going to benefit from playing this slow and steady is not the right word, but cautiously understanding what is going to work, what's not. And understanding that because they, you know, don't have the resources that you're going to see from, I would say maybe three or four teams that fall into the G five and then, and then the P fives failing at this is going to hurt you more than it is to kind of like failing catastrophically right away is going to hurt you more than, you know, giving it a couple of months, seeing what the best strategies are and moving forward from there. Then I might've lost my train of thought a little bit, but you understand what I'm trying to say. It's going to benefit them more to play this cautiously and assess what the best strategies are as opposed to jumping into it headfirst without having any idea what they're really doing. No, Joe, I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to, you know, kind of, we're a relay team. I'm going to take the baton for you and keep it running here. And I'm going to dive headfirst into a controversial topic, but it is one that a, I should probably credit our old boss, Matt Brown for opining on and B I've had some questions, uh, <laughs> maybe not questions, but you know, um, uh, some athletes, uh, an athlete or two has uh, mentioned if I know if they can be affiliated with a certain brand. And for full disclosure, I do not know whether they can or can't, nor should I do I tell them whether they can or can't. That's something they should be discussing with the school. So first, I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger when I come back to that brand, and I'm going to start with what I would do. G5, P5, or otherwise, I would not act like NIL does not exist. We are here in this era now. Sit down. Every single student athlete, I don't care if you got to do it in a big auditorium, uh, or just team by team. We need to have athletic directors, coaches, marketing managers addressing this topic with players, right? To understand, as you mentioned, what brands you may or may not want to be affiliated with. And quite frankly, 
we can't stop you should you choose to be outside of the BYU example you mentioned, the honor code. Should you choose to be affiliated with X, Y, or Z? We can't stop you, but you need to understand you are now marketing yourself, right? And understand the long-lasting repercussions of this. The second thing, again, it's a, from a staffing perspective, I want someone on in the building who can explain this to me as a coach, what you know, kind of my pitfalls may or may not be, and as as a as an AD, as whoever, what the pitfalls may or may not be. Um, so that needs to be established right there. Now, I said I left on a cliffhanger. I'd come back. Joe, and as I mentioned, let's give credit to Matt Brown first. I did hear about this prior to Matt's writing, but Matt has, has a great piece on his Substack Extra Points, uh, extrapointsmb.com. So shout out to old boss Matt Brown. I've had a student athlete ask me if they could open up an OnlyFans. <laughs> and guess what? What's stopping them now? Right? Like, I, I don't know the technicalities behind that, uh, but what's really stopping them now here's the thing there obviously are going to be you know and, and listen you can do that in many forms or fashion right like you don't have to necessarily market something that is adult content but you can and understand that you know that may be short-term gain for long-term discomfort in terms of your own marketability going forward that we didn't make the rules joe that's just the society we live in right so there's that now let's say you don't even want to open up an OnlyFans page. Let's just say you want to rep OnlyFans. Again, that might be a conversation where you say, hey, understand you're not Floyd Mayweather and have a net worth of $500 million and can wear the OnlyFans leather hat out to the uh, fight with the Paul twin. I can't remember which Paul brother he fought, but uh, you're not him, right? So just, again, kind of honing on the point you you kind of started on there, don't take the cheap grab. Don't take the instant grab. Uh, kind of think this out again, Joe, we're talking about student athletes from the ages of 17 and 23, 24. I hate to break it to you guys. If you're listening, your brains aren't fully developed yet. Cause I know I made stupid choices between the ages of 17 and 24. And if you told me uh, I could get 20 grand by repping only fans, I probably would have did it then. Right. Again, we didn't make the rules. This is just a society we live in. So uh, kind of, again, emphasizing your point there, these are all discussions that, you know, you might get a quick laugh or, you know, it's a, it's a it's clickbait, but these are real discussions that these student athletes need to be having. So they, with, with people who are experts in marketing and, and kind of the nuances of this, whether it's a lawyer or agents, et cetera, to get good information. I guess this is a bad time to announce my OnlyFans where I basically just, just eat tacos and talk about Final Fantasy. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I completely agree with you there. I think there's definitely going to be ultimately people, students who make that mistake and go for the the fast cash grab or do something because they think it's funny. And ultimately they think it's going to like, oh, it's going to grow my personal brand, but really they're just doing it for the goof. But, you know, ultimately, I mean, look at, uh, look at like Johnny Manziel. I mean, one thing that I'll give him credit for is he committed to who he was early. And ultimately I think if the NIL rules had been different at the time, he, his career may have turned out differently, but, um, you know, I can't speak to all the other stuff he did, but I think ultimately, like if you, you know, commit to who you are and you're secure enough in knowing who you are, which is albeit not common or advised as a 17 year old, 18 year old person, and you can carry that through the length of your professional career, then go for it. You partner with an OnlyFans or, a you know, a, a you porn red tube whatever they're called now um then you know that's an opportunity that's there that's the thing the floodgates are open now but ultimately you have to understand 
that that this is part of being an adult. Like what you do now is going to stick with you, whether you like it or not. Joe, we kind of, you know, have a, a, a ha ha laughable discussion about that, but <laughs> who's to stop a kid if you're at UNLV <laughs> to partnering with one of those brands? I, 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 or, or listen, I, let me not just throw Vegas under the bus, the city that I spent a lot of time in Miami. There's nothing stopping them, which is why we're having the discussion that there should be people in place to say, hey, like, unless this is going to be financially set you up for an extended period of time, you know, look in the details. But again, there's nothing stopping them as of now. I would be shocked if we didn't see something within that category happen this year. Agreed. Like um, his his name, I'm pulling up his name now and it's bothering me that I can't. Carson Strong. He is the quarterback for Nevada, which is in Reno, not Las Vegas, but close enough. Um, he's projected to be the number one pick next year by some sites. Like ultimately, I think it would definitely behoove him to get something going in the NIL department. But with him being that close to a market like Vegas, that opportunity is there to do something that. I don't know. Definitely some fan bases would not uh, be into, but the opportunity is there and it's a huge market. He could make a lot of money if he chooses, if he chooses to go that route. So yeah, I think you make an interesting point. Like ultimately for kids who are, uh, I don't know, 14, 15, 16 now who are going to be college athletes in a few years, pay very special attention to the successes and the mistakes that are about to be made by college athletes in this realm. Because you're the ultimately you're the one who's going to be in this situation when the rules are a little more fleshed out and people kind of know what they're doing a little bit more when it's less of a uh, unexplored frontier. And you can really benefit from having this educational experience right now. One thousand percent agree. I'll just leave it at that. It, it absolutely should be paying. And listen, it, th- these kids now are going to be the, the guinea pigs. They're going to be the test cases. Your student athletes right now, class of, I don't know, 2025. No, wait, that means you're in college now. 2029 and whatnot. Like, you need to be paying attention from now in terms of if you have that opportunity then. For sure. I mean, you know, we've kind of talked about the direct impact that this is going to have on G5s, but we might have kind of vaguely touched on it over the course of this conversation, but I want to make sure that we talk about it a little more before we wrap this up. Uh, In terms of recruiting, being able to show that your school knows what it's doing in terms of, you know, developing NIL and making sure that kids have the tools that they need to be successful in this realm is going to be massive. And, you know, we, we've alluded to it. Schools in markets like, you know, for, for the G5s, uh, Miami, uh, New Orleans, ones that are close to places like Dallas, uh, Houston to some extent, LA, New York, what have you. You know, you can't just be like, we're close to we're close to these big cities, like come play for us and there's going to be NIL opportunities. There's going to be some for sure, but you have to now understand like what you have to offer that's going to help them stand out against the big teams in big markets. You know, uh, the Hurricanes, USC, uh, Texas Longhorns, LSU, that sort of thing. Like that has to be part of your recruiting strategy moving forward. Joe, I'm going to, again, I'm going to take the baton and keep it moving here. Uh, Mackenzie Melton, De'Ara King. Let's try this on for size here. Two former G5 players who excelled at their G5 schools, whose G5 schools were in bigger markets, DMA-wise and in size, than their current P5 schools. 
do you think, um, pose, pose to you in a form of a question, that their market value increased by being at, quote unquote, traditional, in air quotes, blue blood schools like Florida State and Miami? That is a tough question. I mean, I think it's, you're going to have to take it on a case-by-case basis. Sure. I'm going to say no in the case of Milton, because ultimately, when you look back at his career, people are going to remember him for what he did at UCF. And unless he just just completely balls out this year, wins a championship, whatever, which knowing how Florida State football is right now, I don't really see that happening. But, you know, ultimately, I think if he was still at UCF and their quarterback situation wasn't what it was and he had the chance, you know, he still had a shot at, at being the guy there, then ultimately I think he could still have a lot of amazing opportunities in the NAL realm. Uh, you know, with, with De'Ara King, um, you know, I think ultimately if you're the, if you're the guy at Miami, there's always going to be opportunities. Um, that's just kind of the nature of their program. Um, and as we're kind of seeing the story now with the guy who's starting the gym and paying every single athlete, uh, you know, that's just going to happen with some of these P5 teams, at least in the short term. Um, but ultimately, I, I think it's short-sighted to say jumping to a P5 is going to increase your market value or not, because ultimately it's going to be a case-by-case basis. And real quick, you're talking about the gentleman in Miami who has made the claim that, yeah. uh, that he's going to, if you're a hurricane, you're going to get some money. Um, <laughs> right. So the reason I use those two in specificity is because they started a foundation, a company, excuse me, called Dreamfield, which is a, a name, image, and likeness business that's focused on booking live events for student athletes. Uh, it could be autograph signings, Johnny Manziel, or you know, speaking engagements, whatever, right? And that's great. But to back to my original question, this is where I think it gets interesting, Joe. As a UCF alum and being very well-versed in the companies that are there in the greater Orlando, Central Florida area, there obviously are some opportunities, right? I'm not saying you're going to get an NIL deal from SeaWorld or Disney, but there are plenty of UCF alums who are well-versed in that specific market, which is one that is booming with tourism and whatnot, and and there would be an opportunity for a deal. I think you make a good point that his play is one that you'll remember him as a knight. I still kind of think, Joe, that his market value is potential market value is increased as a seminal just because Florida State, for better or worse, uh, is still a national brand. Right. Which UCF, it's certainly a known brand. You can't necessarily call it national yet. And I know this as someone who lived outside of Orlando slash the state of Florida. And when I walk around with UCF gear, I said, what's that UCF thing? Now, this is pre-2018. So for any Knights fans listening, this is pre-the national championship. But still, the point still remains. Same thing with Miami and Houston. You know, Houston basketball was a brand a long time ago. Same thing with Houston football. And Houston, believe it or not, is actually a bigger city DMA and size-wise in Miami. But the Hurricanes are a national brand. Can we try this on with certain examples like Charlotte, Charlotte 49er football, entering their seventh or eighth year, if memory serves me correct? They certainly have a large, large alumni base in the city of Charlotte. But if you go up the road to North Carolina, maybe you get a bigger, quote unquote, brand in the region. Is that possible? Or if you, you know, is there a, a more national brand in, in that that realm there and in, in that uh, that region? Who knows? But I think it's something that, you know, so you already close this episode up. That group of five schools, of course, in the current construct that there is a group of five that could be meeting its demise due to the playoff expanding in short order. But in the current structure, that may be something you have to look at because in addition to feeling that, hey, 
I've how many times have you heard it, Joe? How many times have I heard it? We've talked to kids who've transferred, or I've talked to a kid who's transferred from FIU or other schools to a P5. I, I did what I thought was best for interest in me and my family to get to the next level. Same, we can hear the same talking point in terms of I did what I thought was best for me and my family to make the most money NIL-wise. So I do think it's something that you may have to kind of take into account going forward. Yeah, that's a solid point. And, you know, ultimately, I, I think two two closing thoughts here. Uh, one, that's an interesting point. I think it's going to ultimately have an impact on some of these kids recruiting decisions in terms of, am I going to go somewhere that's going to um, give me good NIL opportunities to make money in the short term to help my family through some hardships or situations like that um, and maybe not necessarily the best fit for them as a football player and, you know, giving them the opportunity to get to the next level, get good film, what have you. Although it, I don't know, it's kind of a weird Venn diagram, right? Like if you go to a school where like, you're not necessarily going to be a great fit on the football field, then like, why would you, you know, like if you're not really starring on the football field, then why would anybody in that market really want to partner with you? You know what I mean? Sure. That, so I, I don't know. That's kind of an interesting scenario, but I do think ultimately we're going to have, you know, schools maybe, or players rather maybe pick some schools for the wrong reasons, but it is what it is. It's going to come with kind of the territory of ironing things out uh, to start with. And uh, two, just because this popped into my brain, do you think a SeaWorld sponsorship is totally out the window with Jim McElwain? <laughs> it wasn't him, Joe. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, but, I mean, we can't really – you know, do this podcast without taking one parting shot at the University of Florida. But hey, um. <laughs> one of us will see Jim McElwain in short order. That'd be me in Central Michigan. <laughs> I digress. Hope you listen to this. Enjoy. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, thank you all so much for uh, sticking with us for kind of a non-traditional episode of the show. Um, if you want to check us out more at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter, underdogdynasty.com, and then uh, at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore and at Eric C. Uh, Henry underscore on the Twitters. And uh, yeah, we'll, we have a lot of stuff coming for the upcoming season as well. So uh, be sure to you know subscribe and keep following us for more. Uh, happy football watching, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your summer. 